Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very pleased to be joined today by Ken Unger, the president and founder of Charge. Ken, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you, Steve. I'm happy to be here. I was really excited to hear from uh, your team a little bit more about the work that you're doing at Charge in terms of uh, sponsorship revenue for nonprofit missions everywhere. It's a really important topic right now. But before we dive into the specifics of that, can you just tell me a little bit more about uh, your work? What is Charge? Sure. We are a sponsorship marketing agency. And what we do is we help organizations both on the sponsor side and what's called the property side. Uh, get the most out of sponsorship? How do they increase revenue? How do they improve their brand? Really, how do they do anything to improve their business? And lots of opportunities in there, but I think many of the nonprofits that I've worked with kind of thought about sponsorships in, in the capacity of in-person events. Uh, and that's traditionally been a, a way of making those relationships happen with sponsors to talk with them about being listed on invitations, material, coming to an event, maybe um, uh, offering a greeting to people that are there in person as uh, a sponsor, all sorts of things about all the in-personness of event-based work. And there's so much good things about that, but almost no one is really able to do in-person events at this point. And I'm assuming that you're seeing a very, very, very different world around sponsorships as a result of that. Uh, But can you talk a little bit about kind of the before um, event-based work, but also other opportunities for sponsorships that haven't necessarily been event-tied, and then how all of that shifts uh, in this world where we're not having that in-person opportunity as much? Yeah, Steve, that's a great question. And I think your observation is spot on. You know, if you, if you break it down into kind of its definition, a sponsorship is just a relationship between two companies where a sponsor pays for the right to speak to the other organization's audience. So we've seen that over time, especially the last probably 15 years, um, most of the sponsorships have really been event-based. And so obviously in the in the you know the age of COVID-19, that makes that um, extremely problematic, probably more so for sports, um, but certainly in the nonprofit sector, uh, we've seen impact. So again, in the sponsorship world, about 70% of all sponsorships are sports. But 30% of sponsorships are in that nonprofit sector, whether it's the arts, education, social justice, healthcare, economic development, a wide variety of not-for-profit causes. So one of the things that we have started to recommend, and this was really back in probably April, um, things started to get uh, really tense. Uh, Events were canceling. And so first thing um, that we were seeing is what do we do with an existing event that's been canceled or postponed? So the first thing that did happen is we saw a an intense migration from live event to virtual event. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously uh, vendors like Zoom <laughs> were the big beneficiary of that kind of thing. And to a certain extent, it is much, diffi- much more difficult to do um, to take a live event and turn it virtual. You certainly can't do it with a thing like a gala Um, But obviously, there's opportunity to do that and change the theme and change kind of the level and the nature of the participation and turn a live event into a virtual event. But the other thing that we've seen uh, in sponsorship in in this era, you know, caused by the pandemic was focus on brand. So how can a sponsor improve its brand image by its association with a nonprofit 
or other property? And then how can the two work together to increase the sales of the sponsor? And again, if you look at sponsorship as only the right to speak with the organization's audience, that creates a really, really uh, wide playing field of doing different types of things for sponsorship. Right. And I think it's important in this nonprofit conversation to recognize that this is uh, um, transactional in some way, right? That the, that they want to see some uh, sponsorship is different from a grant. Um, it's not just here's some money to go do good work in the world, but rather um, we do believe in being tied with your brand, your nonprofit identity. We think it's good for us. We believe in the work that you're doing. So presumably the sponsor is not going to consider a sponsorship with you if they think it hurts them. So they, they wouldn't do that. But assuming that they agree that your nonprofit mission is good and, and would, would hold up nicely in a good light, um, then they're going to want something in exchange for that um, that uh, gift to your organization, although it's not you know technically in this case an out-and-out gift. So I think that it's important to recognize this is a little different from how other nonprofit work goes that, that that exchange is you know on the table but right what are they going to be getting um, in terms of that opportunity to meet your audience and talk about what is hopefully a mutual um, agreement I'm, I'm going to assume also that in this particular case uh, you're not going to solicit or perhaps even accept a sponsor if that also isn't a mission alignment for you it's just so that this is a two-way street there that you know if you're a, a, a workers rights organization fighting for a higher minimum wage you're probably not going to accept a sponsorship from Walmart it, it, you know you're going to want to make sure that the, the the mission alignment works for both sides so let's let's start there as, as you talk with nonprofits and talk with sponsors that want to reach those nonprofit audiences, um, how do you help them vet that part of the relationship first before we start moving on to what are dollar amounts, what are opportunities to reach audiences and how people do that? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And so with nonprofits, it really starts with a policy. So because you're, you're, you're kind of moving in from just advocacy of the cause and really focus on impact, and now you are getting into what is, in essence, a commercial relationship where the sponsor is looking for that exchange. They're looking for a value in terms of improved brand image or increased sales. It really starts with the nonprofit creating a policy. And that policy usually starts uh, with the professional staff, but it does go to the board level uh, because you're really talking about something fundamental uh, within nonprofit it isn't necessarily changing the business model, but it is changing it enough that you want to know, for example, the types of companies that you would accept um, sponsorship relationships from. Uh, how does that sponsorship relationship improve your, your mission? Uh, what are the potential conflicts of interest? Because mm -hmm. frankly, and, and you know this, Steve, is that you know credibility and authenticity is the stock and trade of a nonprofit. Right. So you cannot sacrifice that um, in the course of a sponsorship relationship. So it all starts ahead of it before you've solicited the first sponsor with creating a sponsorship policy for your organization. You know, I've seen um, sponsorship package stuff uh, produced and whatnot, but I don't know that the folks that I'm working with have that policy ahead of time. Is this something that you help organizations consider and craft? Are there templates that you've seen? Uh, how do you en encourage that that gets done first? Yeah, uh, we do help organizations with that. I have seen a really good template, though, that I can um, share with your audience. Great. So so many years ago, kind of at the height of um, 
what I'll call the tobacco regulation era, hmm. um, there was um, recommendations regarding how nonprofits work with sponsors to avoid entanglements like working with the tobacco industry. So sure. uh, I, in your show notes, I'll be happy to uh, in, include the, um, the link to that. Great. But there are there are model policies that really they they provide a template for asking the right questions. And really, it's going to be different. The policy will be different for every organization. But sure. if you ask the right questions, you'll arrive at the right answer for your organization. Well, I appreciate you starting with that because it is so important to be thoughtful ahead of getting yourself into the soup where um, you've sent out a bunch of solicitations for sponsors to participate in a particular opportunity. You're very excited about it. Some board member sends it to a friend who gives it to somebody else who's, who's like, oh, this is a great fit for us. And they respond and you're like, oh, gosh, it's not a good fit for us. And we didn't have that information ready. And now it feels like we're you know, burning a bridge or, or you know, um, not treating somebody well because we didn't think about it ahead of time. So great advice to get that policy done before you start soliciting all those things so that you can reasonably do this. I certainly do encourage the folks I work with to have a general gift acceptance policy that looks along those same lines. So this should fit in nicely with anything that you've already done in accepting just an out and out charitable gift. Uh, so good to know all right, we, we're doing some homework, we're getting together a good policy to kind of help that part of it along. Now, assuming that a lot of our past experience with uh, sponsorship had been more that in-person event, um, I have been seeing a lot more people you know, doing the online thing, not necessarily the gala, but some other way of bringing people together around their mission that is more time specific, right? Instead of, you know, watch the, the recording of a thing whenever you want to, it's, you know, join us at seven o'clock uh, for a live online, you know, conversation, event, meeting, whatever, um, that maybe has some more content meat to it than perhaps a gala would, because you're not able to serve fancy hors d'oeuvres and have people have a nice social experience in the same way. So if if that's kind of our, our substitute for the in-person event, um, how do sponsors feel about, you know, taking advantage of that given the world that we're living in? Are you seeing different responses to that solicitation? Yeah, I, I really think surprisingly, I'm seeing a very positive reaction. Yeah. And I think because again, over the last several decades, we've become so reliant on events. Yeah. And frankly, it's easy, right? I mean, to the extent that you have an event, you're creating a roster of sponsors, you go out and sell sponsorship, and that's it. There isn't there isn't a lot of effort that's given into what is that value that goes to the sponsor, because it's kind of built into the event, right? Their presence at the event, getting recognized at the event. So what we're seeing is we see um, sponsors being baked into the campaigns um, that not-for-profits are running, social media campaigns, sometimes it's fundraising and development campaigns, but you're seeing that sponsor get baked into it because remember we, we talked at the beginning about the definition of sponsorship? Mm -hmm. If the sponsor gets the right to speak to the organization's audience, that's what they care about. So however it happens, um, gala, online event, whatever, it's providing that value to the sponsor because they are connecting with that nonprofit's audience. Well, and a, a, presumably a little bit of value in um, 
that that social good that you've done that you know you could have done with a gift you know if you had just decided as a corporation um i just want to make an out and out gift to this and i'll put that on my corporate responsibility page we we made a gift to this community nonprofit that does work we feel is important you can absolutely do that too but presumably if they're sponsoring they'll also take advantage of you know using that in community reports and whatnot about um connecting with other audiences on we are a good responsible corporate player we like to um, support things in our community here's some examples we supported this event that online thing so it's not solely and strictly just the opportunity to talk to that particular audience around that particular thing but also hopefully a little of that carryover of you get some value out of being associated with us over time over that year anyway right well stay exactly and steve Steve, that's where we see some incredibly exciting um, trends that I think nonprofits will really benefit from. So if you look at corporate social responsibility, it was something that corporations did, I think, out of a feeling that they had to. Mm -hmm. um, it, was, it was almost a check-the-box activity for some companies, but that's changed. And so, for example, what we're seeing in the survey data, this is over the last five years, 87% um, of consumers, for example, said they will purchase a product from a company because that company advocated for something they care about. Well, companies kind of stood up and took notice as consumers were, expe were expressing those preferences. So another trend that we've seen is that over time, as government has really responded less and less to the needs from a social uh, responsibility uh, aspect to the needs of their communities, those communities have started to look at companies, at private companies to fill that gap, to be those organizations that serve a public good. Now, surveys that have happened since the beginning of the pandemic have shown that that cycle has accelerated. Yeah. So you have, that, you have that trend where, as you said, a company wants to be known, uh, whether it's in its literature or elsewhere, as doing good for the community, now it is viewed uh, within corporate boardrooms as something that A, is important for society, but B, is important for business. And so what we're going to see is money that was going to social causes that was out of a company's foundation or a company's community of development budget. Well, that money is now going to come more and more from the marketing budget of a company. That's a really exciting prospect for a nonprofit uh, because the monies in marketing budgets, kind of, if you just look at the United States, there's $250 billion spent in marketing uh, in the U.S. And with corporate donations still being a small percentage of overall revenue for a nonprofit, there is a huge opportunity to tap into that marketing side of the house at a company where before they were just talking to foundations or to community development sides of companies. Right. And those relationships will, of course, continue. Uh, some of those folks are going to uh, want to continue to have that part of their work out there. Uh, and as we were chatting a little bit ahead of recording today, um, thinking uh, those are not mutually exclusive opportunities, that there may be that um, that potential sponsor that has a uh, regular application process for just philanthropic support. We also do charitable giving. Here's how you apply for it uh, and whatnot. And, and you can absolutely do that. 
but and still um, also talk to the marketing side of the house about this. So um, that, that I think sometimes gets left out when people are thinking about sponsorship, like, well, we already asked them um, from their philanthropic side, or we already asked their marketing side, therefore we won't go to their philanthropic side. Um, not everybody has both, but for those that do, I, I think this adds some value to talk about leveraging both of those pools with, with folks. I assume that's part of what you think about with clients you work with. Uh, that is exactly right, Steve. And let's just call it a two for one, yeah. right? So instead of instead of it being mutually exclusive, let's view it as um, synergistic. And so you you do have a strategy for grants for donations, but now as you expand the you know strategies for sponsorship, you're now you're now two for one. You're going to the same organization, but you're going to two different sources of potential revenue. Yeah, and I think it's great to keep both of those things in mind, but to you know recognize that the the motivation is going to be a little bit different. So I think one of those challenges that the the smaller and mid range nonprofits may feel about sponsorship is what kind of range of reach can we offer to our partners? Um, and I think that feels like sometimes we should step back and not try because you know um, we don't have you know tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of uh, um, contacts that we're going to be reaching around this opportunity. Uh, it's only going to be you know, a couple thousand, five thousand, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and therefore, it's not big enough to be of interest. Uh, so I'm going to assume that uh, depending on who you're working with as a potential sponsor, that having the right audience, even if it's fairly small, may be valuable, even if it's not to huge dollar amounts. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's always quality over quantity. So obviously, you know, Many sponsors, especially the larger ones, are looking for larger audiences, and that's only because it's more efficient in terms of the number of programs that they need to sustain at any given moment. But a small or medium-sized nonprofit, um, if they understand their audience, they can define their audience, it doesn't matter whether it's 1,000, 5,000, 10,000. What you have is a committed audience of your cause that could then speak to a sponsor and vice versa. So it's really not really the size, it's the quality of it and understanding who they are that's really important for a small or medium-sized nonprofit. So do you coach people through talking about levels of engagement with their current audience ahead of sponsorship? Is that less important than just the exposure? Uh, and I, I throw that out there because I know there are some nonprofits who have larger lists that are maybe a little less engaged. And when you look at the metrics, you're like, well, yeah, you got a lot of people, but you know, the, the email open rates aren't great. The social clicks aren't wonderful. You know, it's a lot of folks, but they're not necessarily kind of there as opposed to the, yeah, maybe you've only got 5,000 people, but man, that click-through rate when you talk to them is huge. And that's, you know, something that you've, um, I assume, want to kind of talk up or down with the sponsor, depending on what you know about how engaged your audience is. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point, Steve. And we, we typically look at that, we call it um, just the level of avidity terms of the audience, how avid they are um, compared to those who aren't. And so, for example, I'll, I'll take, you know, one avid audience member over five casual. Yeah. And kind of if you look at an email campaign, you know, one person who will always open the email campaign and engage with the content versus, you know, people who don't even bother to open it. So, yeah, that level of engagement is important. And it cuts to the issue of what we call sponsorship readiness, which the sponsorship readiness process is really about the, you know, how marketing ready 
is that organization to be able to know their audience, know their level of engagement, how before they even look for a sponsorship, how can they boost that level of engagement? And I know that's those are things that, that you do, Steve, with clients in terms mm-hmm. of coaching them and, and getting them ready for fundraising, uh, for example, and the things that they do in terms of their advocacy and their mission and creating impact. But that's all important to do ahead of time before you pick up the phone or email for the first time looking for a potential sponsor. Well, and that's, I think, really where many folks that are looking at sponsorship in the post-COVID world now um, uh, maybe have to think about this a little differently. They're like, well, we never did the big event anyway, or we didn't try the gala and all the rest of it. So we don't have those relationships. Uh, So now I need to get ready uh, because this is going to be a different world. Uh, where you know some of those uh, needs to connect with audiences that uh, corporate partners will have aren't going to be met in those other spaces. They need to be more creative around how they're going to reach people um, and and talk about the the things that they need to connect with audiences on. So I love this uh, um, sponsorship readiness idea. How do you help uh, a, a an organization assess whether they're ready now or they've got some work to do? So, for example, we've created an online assessment. It's a free assessment. Anyone can go to our website and take it. Uh, again, I'll happy to provide the uh, the link in your show notes. Great. But it, it's something, it's an online survey, and it cuts to the various areas that are important. Do you know your audience? Do you engage in social media? How do you engage in social media? Um, you know, how do you how do you react from a public relations perspective to content opportunities? And then all those different things that really kind of go to what does a sponsor look for? And the reason why we call it sponsorship readiness is because when the you know, an email comes in from a nonprofit, the first thing that a sponsor will do in evaluating that opportunity is all the things that are in that assessment. So sure. we want we want the nonprofit to kind of have the, you know, the answer to the the test questions before the test is even given so that they could go and turn their weaknesses into strengths. Oh, that's a, a really strong thing. So uh, I think one of those perceived weaknesses anyway would be about scale of audience, right? If you don't have millions and millions, um, I think people would think, well, do I even qualify? So um, when you're thinking about that, I mean, are you talking about identifying um, that that maybe smaller, more regional um, business player that could be a really interesting partner for you versus a larger uh, organization that really does want to have a larger reach in order to be engaged in that? Is that part of the readiness is have you identified who some of your potential audience may be? Uh, and sometimes I, I get this with clients that I work with where um, they'll come in and go, uh, well, I know somebody at Target. Um, and you're like, well, yeah, I mean, Target is, uh, I, I'm in Minnesota, it's a, a large corporate presence here and all the rest of it. Um, you know, knowing one person out of tens of thousands in Target doesn't necessarily mean that we are good fits for each other, but it it does kind of get people thinking that way of, do we need a national brand like that? Or is there a hometown advantage to being, you know, a, uh, a nonprofit partner with a uh, organization that has more of a headquarters presence in a community? Yeah. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, Steve. And so if you look at your audience, you're going to divide it into two things, you know, their demographics and their psychographics. Demographics are those things that are relatively unchangeable, you know, your gender, age, household income, geography. So that's one of the things we talk about regionality. So the geography is so important. Psychographics are what your audience or, you know, what your donor base 
um, what they believe in, their values, their hobbies, their interests. So you take that, and when you understand that, the the, the prospects, the who who the sponsors could be, kind of falls in the line. So if your audience is very local, if you're a nonprofit that exists mainly in one metro area and your audience is in that metro area, then you're going to look for businesses that are looking to sell in that metro area. They may be the hometown business. They might be a smaller, medium-sized business, or they could be a, you know, the regional arm of a large brand, but it's driven by your audience, right? And another aspect of, of what you mentioned is um, there is every size sponsorship. Yeah. Right. The, the attention tends to go to the larger ones with the multinational corporations and the, the billion dollar nonprofits. That's the exception, not the rule. Uh, most of the sponsorship activity occurs, you know, in the smaller and mid range part of the market. But again, you know, the because there's scale to that, the dollars are less. But that doesn't matter because the dollars to those organizations are meaningful. Right. They are. And they're new for the most part. If an organization right. is not pursuing sponsorship, they're still fundraising. Right. They're still getting you know money from that side of the house. They're still pursuing grants. But now sponsorship is this brand new source of revenue um, that they didn't have before. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting to me that a lot of the introductory relationships with some of these potential sponsor partners are um, around uh, specific things, event opportunities, right? It's not, you know, please sponsor our nonprofit this year. Um, I mean, that, that doesn't seem to give you a lot of connection to um, a time, a place, a thing, a, a cause or whatever. Um, so there's, there's that to think about, but um, the flip side of it is, uh, generally speaking, once that agreement is struck, that's that's unrestricted revenue for the nonprofit's mission. Doesn't really matter if they came in because of you know this event or that event. They aren't restricting that check to say we only want to support. Um, generally speaking, in my experience, anyway, we only want to support this program and not this program or that thing and not this thing, but rather just we believe that you know we've had that exchange of value. You've got a, a, a great mission. We feel like it's a good thing for us to connect with people and support that mission. So when we write the check, you need to use it however you feel the need to use it. Um, I'm a, in, in my experience. So are you seeing anybody that's actually trying to restrict revenue to specific program areas? No, no, yeah. this area, this is, this is the golden land of, uh, right. <laughs> because as opposed to restricted grants or restricted right. donations, this is wide open. Not only don't sponsors normally care how the money is spent, um, it is not appropriate for the nonprofit to specify how it's going to be spent. It's not relevant on either side of the equation because the only relevancy is value, right. not expense. Well, and I think that's important to keep in mind that we're looking to provide some value. So, you know, traditionally in the before times, as we affectionately call them now, um, you know, the sponsorship sell sheet, once you kind of do that sponsorship ready thing, tends to be around an event and tends to define levels of value for levels of support, right? That, you know, at $10,000, you're a sponsor at this level. And here's what we provide as a result of that. So many mentions on social media, so many direct email things. We use your local logo here, but we don't use the logo here. We just do a text message or a text mention. Defining what that value is, is kind of a step forward. Um, traditionally, again, that's been kind of around an event, you know, that at this level, you get to speak from the stage in the event, but at this level, you don't speak from the stage and you're listed in the program. If we don't have the in-person event, uh, how do you differentiate those value levels for the uh, partner? Well, from a 
perspective of a sponsor, for example, let's just take an example of we're sponsoring a program and we're not sponsoring an event. So it's a, it's a program that the not-for-profit, um, it could be a awareness campaign, advocacy campaign, or anything of that matter. The degree of integration and then exposure value, um, how that changes on the sponsor side, brand awareness, brand consideration, opinion, all of these things from the sponsor perspective are, are going to be measured. So, for example, if, if I'm a sponsor and I'm starting a, a relationship with a nonprofit, then I am going to also – I'm going to ask for those things that you just mentioned, whether it's logo presence on the website or integration into a campaign. But I'm going to measure the before and after impact on my – the sponsor's brand. And so what I want to see, I'll know there was value from that relationship with a nonprofit if I see lift in those indicators, if consumers are more aware of, of my brand because of, of that campaign. Are they, do they think more highly of me because of that? All those things are part of that value calculation. And again, it's not event-based because in this example, we were just integrating the sponsor as, as part of a program as opposed to an event. Uh, so really that value doesn't necessarily change, right? It's still brand awareness can happen at an event or in a program, uh, but we're going to measure whether or not that value actually is delivered to the sponsor. Well, when you said we are going to measure, that's uh, interesting because you just talked a little bit about the sponsor um, incorporating this into their overall evaluation of how they're trying to reach audiences, that you are one thing that they want to know, is there a positive impact, but not necessarily that you are going to somehow measure that for them, but um, or at least not in every case. So how, how does that reporting back to them happen? Because uh, in, uh, like I said, uh, uh, the more traditional event-based pieces that I've um, worked with, we would report back to say, we sent, you know, 10,000 emails to this minute, you know, to this audience. Uh, here's these open rates. Here's the engagement that we saw as a result of that. I mean, you can give them something from your side to talk about impact of, of those things. Less so with some of these newer opportunities, but not exclusively. So how, how do you think that plays from what can we provide as the nonprofit partner? So that's a great question to clarify this. And, and let me go into a little more depth about it. The, mm -hmm. the nonprofit is not going to have to report on data or impact that they, are, that they don't already have. So if there are social media mentions or an email campaign, they'll report on open rates and things of that nature and engagement on Twitter or, or things that they are already measuring. So in terms of the outcomes, right, the, what is happening to the brand, that responsibility is happening on the sponsor side, right? The, non -for the nonprofit is, is reporting on outputs. The brand is reporting on outcomes. So did they have more brand awareness as a result of the things that were put on Twitter? Are people thinking more highly of their brand because of the email campaign or the other things that were done as part of the uh, sponsorship uh, logos on website and things of that nature? That'll be measured by the sponsor. So really that measurement obligation, the nonprofit really has to only worry about those things that they're currently measuring. But they'll need to absolutely share that um, data and be ready to report that data as evidence of what they did to, you know, earn their part of the sponsorship relationship. 
Okay. So you, you work a lot with um, sports organizations in this world, uh, many of which are impacted more um, than even some of the charities around um, what's happening with the inability to have large in-person gatherings. Um, I, I don't know if that means there's more opportunity for charities to kind of step in because there's some unspent dollars or, or a shift in dollars from how they might have been participating in other community-based events like sporting events and whatnot um, or whatnot. I personally Personally, I'm seeing it easier to reach potential sponsors than it, than I feel like it was six months ago. But I and I don't work with it as much as you do, so I don't know if that's just kind of a blip with the folks I'm seeing. Are, are nonprofits actually seeing a little bit more of an opportunity lift here as a result of the change in the world? Yeah, they are, and I I describe it as kind of a double whammy in a positive way for nonprofits. So you have tremendous stress being put on the sports and entertainment world. Uh, because the inability to have live events, well, that money's going somewhere because companies that still have money to market have to market because they need to reach customers like never before. Mm -hmm. The other thing, and the reason why I mentioned the, the trends in corporate social responsibility and you know trends in consumer attitudes towards companies, um, that demand is building. So when you have on the sports side, the inability to spend money in sports and you have on the, on the cause side, the need to ramp up activity on the cause side, you have now money that that is available for nonprofits that would not have been available before. I also don't think that this trend will reverse when there's a vaccine for COVID and you know we're coming out of the pandemic. I think this this trend is relatively permanent. And if you look at what the United Nations just did in terms of blending the 17 sustainable development goals, mm -hmm. which are goals kind of a, across the board, you know, the spectrum in the cause world, blending that with corporate responsibility, because there was a conference recently um, in Southeast Asia where a hundred multinational corporations signed on to the UN 17 sustainable development goals. Well, now you're looking at companies that need to find ways to express that. How will they do it? Sponsorship. So how do you help uh, charities figure out where those right partners may be? They've, well, actually, I do want to get to that, but maybe I'm um, jumping the gun a little bit because I think that um, the question of does sponsorship need to be virtual event-based if it's not physical event-based? Um, uh, does it have to have kind of a specific trigger or how do you think about sponsorship differently when there's fewer in-person events? Yeah, I... Uh... You could look at sponsorship in a variety of different ways because even we, we shouldn't even restrict ourselves to virtual events. Yeah. So a sponsorship, there could be a sponsor of the entire organization. There could be a sponsor of a program within an organization. There could be um, the sponsor of a temporary campaign, an awareness campaign, for example, within the organization. Then there could be a sponsorship of a virtual event. So really, if the activity has an audience, it's sponsorable. So the first thing that we would do with a nonprofit is sit down and look at look at what they're doing. We call that in sponsorship, we call that inventory or the assets that they have, hmm. uh, because these are the things that they can offer in terms of how to connect their audience with the sponsor. But what we found is that's only constrained by imagination. And that's, again, what we're seeing in the pandemic is imagination running amok in a good way, because, <laughs> because really with the constraints on, on events, 
people are being super creative about what can be sponsored beyond just, you know, a Zoom event. So you have some examples of anybody you're working with where you're um, making that approach to, to um, the, the potential sponsor partners and they're going, well, we hadn't thought of it that way, but that's intriguing. You know, how do, how, how do we break through that first time when we haven't done it that way before? Yeah, I think the I think the easiest thing that blends the the advocacy mission of the non for profit with something of value to the uh, to the sponsor is sponsorship of a campaign. And when I say campaign, uh, it's taking an area of awareness and really um, putting the overlay of a sponsorship on it. And that so typically an awareness campaign might be just about the cause itself, uh, the importance of prevention activities for a certain disease or uh, research for something else. Um, and that that awareness campaign would have happened just you know, stripped of any kind of commercial overlay. Well, now with a sponsor, with a sponsorship, it blends the brand of the sponsor with the awareness message of the uh, nonprofit, and we're finding that those are are the easiest to sponsor. Hmm. I mean, l- l- let me back up and say that sponsorship is difficult, right? No one listening to this should feel like sponsorship is a drop kick and I'm going to drop whatever I'm doing and engage in sponsorship. It's like any other form of fundraising development, marketing. Uh, it takes strategy, effort, um, excellent execution. But what we're finding is because awareness campaigns are only constrained by imagination, there can be any no limit, any type of campaign that fits the mission of the nonprofit can be sponsorable. So we're seeing some some pretty imaginative campaigns out there. So if if your listeners are trying to think of what things that if they don't have an event, they don't have a they don't have a uh, virtual event. It's what is that message that they're trying to convey generally, and can that be sponsored while still maintaining authenticity? and the right fit and not looking overly commercial and all those types of things. Right. I I think it's important to always keep, you know, the, um, that perception filter out of the the rest of the community of um, yeah that feels like it's a, a a good fit when my neighborhood um, organization that I you know go to for groceries or banking or whatever in the world the thing is anyway is supporting something that I believe in that's great we all feel good about that it's wonderful um, certainly want to be careful to um, have that authenticity as the primary focus and again gets back to your point of a, a policy for sponsorship before diving too far into that. Um, But then assuming that you can find some, uh, you know, it's, I think, packaging up how to communicate that value to the um, sponsor differently from how we've maybe done it in the past. Because again, I'm, I'm certainly have seen plenty and plenty of, you know, at the platinum level, you get this at the diamond level, you get that kinds of things around events where it's uh, a number of tickets to the event, you know, you get a table or two as a corporate sponsor or whatever, as opposed to these things that are, you know, more programmatic, uh, focused and and maybe there'll be a little bit less of that in person kind of thing, um, but nevertheless you, you can still communicate that value. Um, you know, one of the things that used to happen at the in person events was kind of the swag bag deal, where you would get corporate branded things to take home, so that not only did you have that great impression at the event where you had a lot of fun and and learned things about the programs and the mission, um, but you, you came home uh, and you know you had the 
the new fridge magnet with chip clip on it or whatever in the world the thing was that had that reminder of that sponsor do we still think about those kinds of physical connections to people in this virtual world or is that less important now Oh, no, no, no. That's uh, you've made a great point because that's just as important. And so think that the delivery, think of it in this way, the delivery is not going to be in person. It's not going to be on your table or on your chair at a gala event. But um, we're seeing this all over. So I'll give you an example. This isn't a sponsorship, but it is how these these physical mementos uh, are tied to to either a virtual event or a program. So my eldest son graduated from college. Um last may and commencement was canceled because of yeah. because of covid but every single graduate received a graduate a graduation kit from the university which had streamers and branded uh, all kinds of branded things that were integrated into the commencement ceremony that happened virtually so that was really important because what then you, you then had is you had all over the country these graduates create a community by having the same physical branded items that were tied to the event. So we're seeing this also as part of sponsorship. And so all it really takes is an Amazon account or <laughs> UPS or a, mm -hmm. or a FedEx account and to create, you know, kind of, you know, sponsorship branded pieces and simply, um, you know, distributing them physically to the audience. Again, if you know who your audience is, you know where they live. Um, there is a way to integrate physical and virtual and really create that emotional connection. And that's what this is. All of marketing, but especially sponsorship is about emotional connection. And those are the tools to accomplish that. So presumably those more experienced sponsors will understand there's some value in that physical thing that might be, you know, uh, the you know whatever the 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 thing may have been at the uh, event being distributed and kept uh, so uh, again assumedly you're you're producing a useful thing and not uh, something that people will go I don't really want that thing and they'll recycle it or whatever but if you're going to give them something that has that reminder of that company and that event that nonprofit together whatever um, that's expensive to you know ship around to people it's not impossible as you said the gosh knows there's plenty of delivery mechanisms. But that that stepped up level of value is something you think sponsors are going to be more interested in. Absolutely, and so let's let's talk about that for a minute. Um, so a sponsorship is not free, right? Meaning that for the nonprofit, there will be sponsorship expenses. However, it is not just it is not money out of pocket. That is, you know, money that is net negative for the organization. So. If you have a hundred thousand dollar sponsorship, you might have to spend twenty thousand of it in fulfillment of that sponsorship relationship. And so, in the example of, of premium items, promotional items, you know that that budget for those items and the shipping of those items might be part of those fulfillment expenses. You're still netting, in my example, eighty thousand dollars. Right. So, but um, there will always be expenses on the property side, the nonprofit side for executing that sponsorship because you're doing something of value. And when you do something of value, there's expense tied to it. 
but in theory, this is going to be more attractive to some of our uh, potential partners, right? That if that's one of the options of, you know, at this lower level, you know, we include you in all the marketing information and, and we share, you know, links and all those good things. But at this higher level, you know, we're going to distribute some kind of physical reminder of the, the deal. And that presumably, at least to some partners, would be worth that extra investment. It, it is. And you don't necessarily have to think of it as tiers. So in your example, you're thinking of like gold, silver, right. you know, bronze. You don't have to think of it like that, like you think of a, of a gala. I think of it as scalable. So it is one conversation and it isn't necessarily a choice between an A package, a B package or a C package. It is a conversation between the nonprofit and the sponsor about, okay, sponsor, what do you want to accomplish and how can we accomplish it? And then value it and then price it, right? Oh, so really what you're, you're starting with that value discussion first, and then you're attaching, you know, uh, economic value that makes sense from the sponsor's perspective, but also from the nonprofit's perspective. So think of it as scalability, not necessarily the creation of tiers. No, I, and the way that you talk about it to me seems a little bit more, um, you know, a la carte or modular rather than, you know, you have to buy everything at this level in order to get to that level. And it may be a little bit more like I, I want a little piece A and a little piece of B and a little thing over here. And we can do that in these spaces because we're not having to set up every single table in a event hall, you know, kind of the same. Perfect. I, I love the words a la carte. I particularly love the word customized. Right. If you can customize this to exactly what your sponsor wants, you win. Right. <laughs> and, and the sponsor wins because, again, you're building something of value to both. So think think of it as building, not not prepackaging. Okay. We are starting to run a little low on time and I've been really enjoying this, but I, I do want to respect that we're going to need to end fairly soon here. So we've, we've kind of gone a few different places and I haven't had much of an open-ended chance to say, what haven't we talked about that you think is really important for charities to think about in this shifting time? Yeah, I think we, we talked about um, audience and that's super important. We always start with that. Um, the, the other tips that we kind of share with nonprofits is in a discussion about a sponsorship, don't necessarily lead with your cause, right? The conversation is about value to the sponsor, um, not benefit to the non-for-profit or benefit to the cause. I know mm. that's counterintuitive because that's not how we fundraise, right? But in the sponsorship discussion, it's value first. Cause is important, but don't lead with it. Um we mentioned before, don't offer information about how you'll use the sponsorship fee because that looks a little too much like you're simply trying to offset expense in terms of creating a value calculation for the sponsor, that you're charging something that's worth a particular amount for the sponsor. Um, another thing we've seen in the nonprofit world is don't be humble, right? A lot of non <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, this is just good advice all the time, but please yeah. expand. Yeah. So communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, be honest, be authentic, but this is really time for you to shine in terms of discussing who you are and what you stand for. Um, learn from service sponsors, learn how to service sponsors before you get into a sponsorship relationship because the easiest sponsor to find is, or the, yeah, the easiest one to, to find is one you keep. Right. Right. And then finally, um, I think board members are a key part of any process regarding uh, a nonprofit. I am a board member. <laughs> I have on a not-for-profit. I have been board a board member at other not-for-profits. 
But when a board member comes to you and says, I, like you said before, Steve, like I know someone on the board at Target <laughs> or I know someone on the board at XYZ Bank, um, be very cautious only because you can't give short shrift to that audience discussion. That is, who is your audience? And it just because a board member knows someone at a certain organization doesn't mean you, you go chase it. There has to be an authentic fit. So that's kind of a laundry list of, of, of tips that we've given based on what we've seen. You know, it's the uh, trial and error, the law of trial and error. So it's uh, just a uh, word to the wise. Those are some of the things we're seeing in this space. Well, and still evolving. So I think very exciting to learn more about how this world will be changing. Um, I think you're right that um, that some of this change is is not going to reverse when we are doing more in-person things again. I think that there's a a real learning from both nonprofit organizations and their partners in the community that um, there has always been this opportunity to have that value exchange that maybe we haven't tried to tap as much because we would just kind of get used to events as a driver, but it you know that in-person event doesn't have to be the only thing. So, so much more to think about and to act on. Uh, I look forward to sharing all of those uh, resources that you talked about in the show notes with everybody. Uh, but for right now, I, I just want to uh, say thank you. Ken Unger is the president and founder of Charge. Ken, thanks for your time. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate it.